Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Badham. And in this HR Chat episode, we're going to consider tactics and tools to help leaders and HR pros build teams quickly while scaling company culture in sustainable ways. My guest this time is Hesse Coleman, Vice President of People at Sedna Systems, a global firm used in 80 countries offering communication software that brings all conversations, data and documentation together in one focused, accessible place. Hesse's focus, she says, is building a world-class team and making sure that working at Sedna is a great experience and is as good as the awesome product that we offer. Hesse, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Bill. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I'm excited to have you. So let's get straight in. And beyond my reintroduction there, Hesse, why don't you just start by introducing yourself and telling telling our listeners a bit more about your career background? Sure. Yeah. Um, what more can I tell you? I run the people team at Sedna. Uh, we're a startup. We're building a collaborative communication platform, which helps teams to reduce their email volume and to focus more on the work that matters, essentially. Uh, we're a global team. We're about 70 people now uh, in the UK, in Canada, in Singapore, and we have some people that are fully remote internationally. And my role is across the full employee lifecycle. So everything from attraction and recruitment through engagement, well-being, working practices and operational design, all of the policy work and infrastructure that underpins that, and all while building a great culture that has openness, collaboration, diversity and inclusion and high performance at its heart. You've got lots of experience of, of working in uh, companies of different sizes and, and obviously you're in a fast growing company at the moment. It, in your experience and what you've, what you've gone through, what, what are the biggest challenges facing people leaders at fast growing companies? Well, the biggest challenge is keeping all the plates spinning. I think a really big one is around how you scale your culture. Because I think for a 50 or 100 or a 500 or a 50,000 person business, they won't be identical, but they have to be recognizably the same business. So how do you how do you retain that kind of core culture as you grow? One of the big challenges, of course, is hiring and onboarding at scale, but then also around retention and performance and building a business that is somewhere that people actually want to work and really are able to do their best work. At the moment, of course, we have the additional challenge, all of us, that we're doing this and supporting staff through a pandemic and in many cases a really sudden shift to asynchronous or remote working. And what advice would you give to those who are who are looking to build teams in a pretty quick manner while scaling company culture so that they they're staying true to those original company values and and, and the the overarching uh, goals that, that the company was set up with? The number one piece of advice that I would give to anyone that's attempting to scale a company um, especially if you're doing it at speed is to not lower the bar. And that sounds really counterintuitively. It sounds really counterintuitive when the reason that you're hiring is because you need someone to fulfill a role. And it's really easy to kind of um, get into this mindset of almost, you know, we just need to hire somebody, anybody. But in the long run, actually keeping your standards and expectations high can allow you to really save yourself a world of pain. Um, and to do that, I think the, my advice would be to take a really hard look at what is actually required for the role. So as an example, so many job ads out there have a bachelor's as a requirement. Is that actually a requirement, especially when somebody's kind of a, a good way into their career actually is relevant career experience or attitude going to be more important? Also, I'd recommend taking a look at what company culture actually means for you. So I'm a big proponent of the idea of, cult, of of assessing culture ad rather than culture fit. 
because I do believe that a company culture is a kind of living, breathing thing, which everyone that comes into the business is adding something new to. And while there are some core things that are immutable, as you say, the kind of culture and values and the things that really have to stay the same throughout, the risk, I think, in defining a culture of a business too narrowly is that you end up kind of hiring to match in the image of what already exists um, and you kind of perpetuate the business that already exists, which can by accident lead to a very homogenous workforce. Now then, Sedna is committed to diversity and inclusiveness in their team and as well they should be. It's 2021, for goodness sake. But what actionable measures are you taking to ensure this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is this is something that I'm glad has really um come to the fore and come to real prominence in the uh, industry in the last few years is actually just just how important DNI actually is. For me, I actually think that those uh, two letters are the wrong way around. For me, I think inclusiveness comes before diversity. Diversity is a benefit of being a welcoming, inclusive organisation. It's really a, a virtuous circle. Um, but for me, actually, being a welcoming, inclusive organisation comes first, and that's how you attract a more diverse workforce. Having said that, as to what you can actually do to build this, especially if you're kind of at the start or the um, beginning of that journey, in some ways it does start with recruitment. Uh, the people that you're bringing into the business, that is um, obviously quite critical. How you operate as an inclusive employer though and how candidates come to know about that is also very important to make sure you're attracting a more diverse group of applicants in the first place. So some of the tangible things that you can, you can do on that front, um, one that's fairly simple, for example, is actually ensuring that your job ads are using language that won't cause the very people that you want to hire to self-select out. I think we've all got a bit bored over the years of, uh, of ninjas and rock stars as job titles, but there's actually quite a lot of research behind this. Um, that There are some phrases and uses of language that are much less attractive to some demographics, uh, women, for example, than men um, or or. or otherwise. Having said that, you can definitely, um, I think, use language that is very inclusive and very inviting to everyone, um, which is, is certainly worth doing. You don't want people to be self-selecting out of the first hurdle. It's also worth, I think, taking a look at your website, making sure that it's kind of giving the impression of you, like giving a true and fair impression of you as an employer um, and the company and not kind of just showcasing all one demographic if it isn't, for example. So longer term, also ensuring that you're represented in places the candidates you're trying to attract are going to actually see it. But considering things like um, which communities, channels, or even recruiters you're using. I would also really recommend beyond that, ensuring that your candidate practices are fair and equitable and assessing the right things. Think really carefully in advance about what you actually require from a candidate and how you will know that you found it. Once you've actually hired people, also just as really critically important, make sure that you're not neglecting your internal staff processes. Pay attention to who has access to opportunity, to recognition, to promotion. Ensure that's equitable. Or one way that you can think of culture is the behaviours that are accepted and promoted, and conversely, what's not acceptable. Make sure that you're encouraging a really welcoming, inclusive practices, and draw the line very clearly on what's not acceptable. You've grown the team exponentially in the last 12 months. What tips do you have for, for successfully hiring and onboarding employees remotely because we're all working remotely right now um but not just not just hiring them but also making sure that the hires that you do bring on uh, are folk that are going to stay with you for you know for, for a while and make a real difference yeah i think that this is something that is quite uh, daunting especially if you're used to meeting people face to face in interview settings to suddenly have to make these big important decisions fully online having never met a person it's uh yeah that can be really scary 
Um, we're, we had a bit of a head start on this one, luckily. Uh, we're a globally distributed company. We've got people in Canada and the UK and Singapore, um, plus some people that are fully remote in the US, Europe and Australia. So we've had a fair bit of practice already, luckily, at um, hiring and onboarding people remotely. One of the real benefits, I think, of actually thinking of it in a, in a uh, more remote first way is that actually it opens up much broader talent markets. So although we were already operating in all these different countries, um, we have a an office in Vancouver. Uh, and I mean, offices these days, not that that really makes a big difference, but that's traditionally where we would have been hiring. Actually, since the pandemic, uh, about this time last year, we had one person on the North American East Coast. And now that's actually up to something like 8% of our team, especially around Toronto, which is, I mean, that's such a tech hub. Um, actually, that's really opened up a huge talent pool to us. I think, so in terms of recruitment, I'll tackle that one first. Um, I think that it's really worth considering your hiring practices. Think about the process, but also think about the candidate experience and how it translates to online. So for example, previously, if somebody would have been traveling into an office for an interview, it kind of makes sense to maximize the time that they're in the office so that they don't need to keep making that trip. But in a remote setting, you can be a lot more flexible around things like timings, um, which makes your process also much more accessible to candidates. Worth really considering whether everything actually has to be done synchronously. Can parts of the process actually be something like a take-home exercise? And if this employee, I mean, chances are we're all going to be fairly, uh, fairly good chance we're going to be remote for a while yet, would doing something at home and then discussing it, would that actually be a better reflection of how they would be working if they were to join the business? So would that potentially more closely mirror the skills you're looking for in a remote employee? It's easy to kind of think about the business's processes and practices. Think about it as well from, in terms of candidate experience. So if they were in an office, for example, you kind of pick up a vibe, you get a bit of a feel for what working there might be like. How do they get that remotely? If it's just a series of one-to-one -one video interviews, that's not really going to sell your business. They're not going to get an actual impression of what would it actually be like if I was to work here. So what can you do? Can they spend some time with the team socially? Can that be factored in? I think we have to assume that any really great candidate in the market probably has other offers. So actually, how do we give them the best opportunity to get to know the business um, and to help them make that decision? Post-recruitment then, the uh, the onboarding question. So hopefully through the recruitment process, you've uh, you've been able to give the candidate a, a really good, accurate, honest reflection of what the company will be like. So hopefully no surprises. Um, I think then onboarding, it actually in many ways is not that different than in, in real life. I mean, ultimately, you're trying to bring somebody up to speed. You want them to get to know the business, get to know the kind of key stakeholders that they'll be working with. Actually, a lot of that translates really well to uh, remote. Um, I think the things that then you have to watch out for are how they actually get ingrained in the team socially. Like if, if they were in the office, you know, you might go out for a team lunch in their first week. What can you do remotely that translates? that's um, not necessarily just a big group video call, because I think a year in, um, that's starting to get a little bit boring. Some of the things that we do, for example, are um, we introduce all of our new starters to the whole company in our company all hands. Uh, it's a nice way to kind of put a name to a face. We put up a post um, internally, uh, welcoming every new starter, giving a bit more context and flavor to who they are as a person, not just in terms of the business. Um, and we also have a, a random coffee system where every fortnight you'll randomly get paired up with somebody else in the business. Um, and we've weighted it so that new starters will actually get more pairings uh, than initially. Um, and also that it's more likely to pair you with somebody that isn't in the same team as you so that you get to know people outside of your uh, kind of outside of your team. Beyond that, all the kind of standard uh, remote work engagement type good practices um, in terms of building in time for 
people to make those connections. You know, you're not going to bump into somebody in the kitchen in the same way. So actually, especially when you're new, how do you make sure that they feel really, really welcome? And I think that's something that actually can translate really well to remote. It's just how you actually do it that you have to really rejig your process a bit. Okay, you you offered a very positive outlook there in your answer. And um, I want to delve into that a little bit more with you in a moment, because I, I do feel like there are some downsides to, to having a, an on an online workforce or remote workforce at the moment. We'll get to that in a second. Um, in, in your answer just a moment ago, you, you mentioned a term remote first workplace. As, as a global team, remote working has, has always been part of Sedna, but with the 2020 lockdowns and we're now in what uh, a chap said to me the other day, which I thought was awesome, it's very appropriate, 2020 2.0, um, the, the, the lockdowns are going on, the offices are still shut, and but you, you've moved to from a remote friendly to a remote first workplace what's the difference and and how did you handle the transition 2022.0 is a brilliant phrase i am i'm stealing that um, <laughs> copyright bill bannon <laughs> uh, so to answer your question then so i think for me remote friendly means having the flexibility in where you work from so one example of that would be previously you know you could have worked from home occasionally or done so without actually needing to get it approved by anybody first and then that would have been quite quite normal. Um, I think for me, one of the great benefits of occasionally working from home in the past would be the opportunity to really concentrate on something, get my head down, focus on something with minimal interruptions. The risk is though, actually exactly as you said, that kind of risk to camaraderie almost that you can, if you're, especially if somebody is like the only remote worker in a team um, or the only person that's working remotely on a given day, they can feel like they're they lack visibility they're the odd one out um they, so yeah there absolutely can be some um and they can sometimes miss out on on or feel they're missing out on that kind of in-office communication i think now with pandemic <laughs> 2022.0 a lot of companies have had to even companies that were previously very remote friendly have had to give really serious thought to operating in a remote first way so what does that mean um so as I was talking about previously, in terms of making sure, not just with onboarding, but actually for everyone, um, that they actually have the opp those opportunities to uh, have any kind of social interaction. So for us, um, I talked before about the, the random coffee system that we've set up. We also have um, a couple of coffee breaks through the week in our different time zones, which are just um, to mimic that kind of uh, happenstance communication that would happen when you bump into somebody in the kitchen uh, of course you know it's 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 a very conscious thing actually it's not quite as uh, as random as it would have been um previously but uh it's to kind of in a in that in a very conscientious way make sure that there is time to socialize we also um do things like uh we offer a uh, a hit workout class uh, and a yoga class um through the week in different time zones um which is just a way for people to get together uh, to do something together but not in a not do work um which is which is really helpful i think remote first really what does that mean i think that really draws on culture i think processes and i think tools really important so culture wise what i've already seen is a, a much more conscientious effort to improved communication uh, and engagement with teammates we can't rely on these things kind of just happening um, of people just kind of picking up the message um, almost through osmosis uh, through, throughout the office. Actually, we can't really assume that that's going to happen anymore. And also, 
it's been a really tough year. And something I've really seen is people going out of their way to check in with each other, uh, which is really lovely. Process-wise, I think something from a business perspective that we can really do is put an emphasis on asynchronous long-form written communication, making sure that there are really good feedback loops in place and being very, as I said before, you know, just being really intentional about building opportunities to socialize. I think a lot of that spontaneous interaction we've we've lost. So and while it's not going to be exactly the same one-to-one, I think trying to build some of that back in is really helpful. Having said that, I, I'm a bit quizzed out. So back to the drawing board on uh, what, what that looks like. And, and tools um, of wise as well. I mean, there's a, a lot of great, really, really great platforms um, that have kind of sprung up uh, in the last year that have been really fantastic. We're really, really fortunate. We, um, we, we dog food our own product. Um, and Sedna is a platform that's built for collaborative team communication. So actually using that ourselves, having that kind of visibility into what's going on across the business, what people are working on, what the priorities are actually has also been extremely helpful uh, because i'm a massive nerd uh, I, I can't help sometimes when i'm listening to to my guests to to get really excited when i hear them say certain words dog food or product that's a great one um and i'm also very excited <laughs> that you managed to get the word happenstance in in your answer i'm not sure if you're aware that you use that word what a wonderful word listeners ah, that um, is a great word yeah <laughs> okay well i, I think actually you, you've tackled uh, some of the, some of the some of the negatives and ways to get around uh, the negatives associated with uh, remote working. So so let, let's move on. Let's talk a bit about the tech. Uh, Sedna's software is designed to make communications more straightforward and, and clear by automatically documenting all conversations and activity associated with a, with a project. How can this help to hold everyone accountable and provide self-serve context, ensure that no critical information is missed and maybe create a clear historical action trail? Yeah, that is a, a great question and really kind of at the heart of it all. I think the problem that we see, or that I've seen um, always, is that disconnected systems make for disconnected conversations, data, teams, etc. It's all, um, it can become quite siloed quite easily. Working with individual inboxes, for example, or lots of different standalone tools across the organization causes this kind of risk of a kind of opacity between teams information ends up getting lost or it's kind of hoarded um and then you end up with all these kind of bespoke processes and workarounds that just don't really scale problem solution solution then is is essentially um so that's where we come in that's where sedna comes in our shared inbox it creates one source of truth for the entire organization the idea is that so emails can be um received drafted sent replied to and shared all in one place uh, without kind of compromising security. The Alongside then the email itself, we've got what we call the activity panel, which tracks views, comments, actions. Um, so it means that actually it becomes this real space for like a live discussion. Um, and then what's really cool is the open API, which allows for custom integrations with other tools, data sources, whatever you're using across the business. So all of the relevant information that you need is accessible in one place. You're not having to constantly context switch between uh, your email and whatever other services you're keeping the data in. Okay, lovely. Now, I'd, I'd love for you to to give some insight from your customer's perspective uh, as to why they've made that switch from from traditional email to, to Sedna. How has it improved their team communications and their workflows? Yeah, this um, it's really it's really really exciting. Actually, that's one of the big things that motivates me is actually being able to see what a great impact that we're having on our customers' uh, daily working lives. 
I think what we see a lot is um, what's I mean, it's so common is that we've kind of all built our little processes and workarounds for how we communicate across a business. But we end up with lots of inefficient workflows, a lot of manual organization, bouldering, searching for information can be quite painful. Um, and all of that and actually kind of sharing that information across different parts of the business that need it takes up so much time. And ultimately, I think email, I mean, takes up an awful an awfully big proportion of our working lives and ultimately you know we're, we're not uh, good at our jobs because we're good at email but that's what it sometimes feels like so what some of the stats that i find incredible from our customers um is around the kind of increased efficiency of uh how the increased efficiency that they see actually having switched to sadna it's not um i think it's something like 90 percent uh, reduction in email is kind of what a lot of teams see because what you end up with is, you know, I send you an email, um, you forward, you CC somebody else on it when you respond to me. I then forward that to somebody else and say, hey, are you, can you respond to this? Uh, ultimately, what, what should have been kind of three emails now has six different emails across the business. So you get this kind of CC effect. Um, and that's something that actually is really amazing that we can, uh, because it's it's only one kind of single email uh, that actually somebody might just need to share. I don't know, maybe it's an invoice, maybe you need to share with finance. Uh, or maybe you need to share it with operations for an update. Um, but actually, because you can do all of that and comment and tag people alongside, actually, you're not kind of creating additional noise. You're not creating additional emails. Um, and some of, some of the stats about that that I, I find impressive, really, really impressive um, are, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, a 90% reduction in email. It, internal email volumes sometimes reduced by about 95%. Um, that also saves an awful lot of time filing. Uh, because there's a really powerful search. So actually, if you need to know any of the context around something, um, which again, is really fantastic for new employees, for example, that don't have, we're not, it's not creating additional noise because they don't have to see everything, but they have access to actually pretty much all of the historical context around a transaction or a project or a client relationship, which they can access if they need to. It's been, it, that's something actually as well to your previous question about onboarding that is is, is amazing. Like if somebody needs to know, oh, I don't know, this client, uh, what's the existing relationship with them? Uh, how long have we been talking to them? It, it's all there in the system. So I think for a lot, that's been really incredible. And then, okay, so what's the, you know, I, I mean, talking about um, actually the amazing stats around uh, the volume of email saved. What does that actually mean though? What's the kind of tangible outcome of that? What we've seen is, the um, one team, for example, uh, has saved about 550 hours per week across one team. Um, another has calculated it as one hour per day per person. Can you imagine if you had an extra hour in your day every day, like what you would do with that? Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of phenomenal to think about. Okay, so uh, if I have an extra hour in my day every day, um, I should probably spend that with my with my little boy. I would definitely avoid having to uh, get getting on the PlayStation. What I want to do in 2021 <laughs> is be more productive. So um, an extra hour of my day would give me lots of time to learn more things and and uh, make what is kind of a crappy year so far a, a little bit better by learning things. Um, oh, Hesse, definitely, we definitely. definitely right. That that's what this year has to be about. If, if we're all in lockdown at the moment, we, we we've got to use this to better ourselves. Uh, but Hesse, either we, if it's oh sorry, I talked over you. I didn't mean to. Um, but I mean, I think either, right, whether it's that you get an extra hour in your day to spend with your loved ones or whether it's that you get an extra hour in your day to do something that you actually want to do, either way, that's a great outcome. That is a great outcome. 
uh Hesu, we are coming towards the end of this interview before we wrap things up how can our listeners connect with you personally so whether that's through linkedin twitter maybe you're super cool and you're on tiktok and also how can they learn more about all of the cool things happening over at sedna i i'm not cool enough for tiktok i have to admit i'm not coordinated <laughs> enough to do all the dances <laughs> but um <laughs> no best bet i linkedin hesse coleman or twitter at hesse coleman the same um you know it'd be great if anyone has any any questions or would like to find out more you know please do reach out um as for sedna uh best way to get in touch with us is at sedna sedna.com wonderful well that just leaves me to say for today hesse coleman thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the hr chat show bill thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure and such an interesting conversation and listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.